Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, April the 21st, 2023. We live in strange times in our social media age. On the one hand, we're all promised that we can become leaders, have huge followings, become very famous. And on the other hand, the reality is, is that I believe at least that many are called, but few are chosen. One man who has certainly been chosen is my guest today, Sam Adeyemi. He is the author of Dear Leader, and he writes about uh, how to become a successful leader. He certainly is one. Um, he has 1.5 million followers on Twitter, and he's only following 176 people, including myself. I have to admit, I'm very, uh, very chuffed with that. Uh, he is joining us from um, his home in uh, Atlanta. He divides his time between Atlanta, Georgia, and Lagos, Nigeria. Sam, many are called, but few are chosen. Am I right, or am I being unfair to the democratic potential in our social media age? Well, thank you for having me, Andrew. Um, I used to believe, right, that only few people uh, had the potential to be leaders, right, for a long time, until a gentleman, a reverend gentleman, gave me a book to read, my first book to read on leadership. Christian Leadership by Donald S. Altman. And this was some 23 years ago. And to my surprise, the author said, the theories uh, proposed by Plato, Socrates, that few people are born to lead, everybody else is born to follow. He said those theories had expired. He said everybody has the potential to lead. Now, if you called me when I was a teenager, or if you asked anyone to offer to lead a group to which I belonged when I was a teenager, I would be the last person to offer myself because I was very reserved. I was very shy. And I did not make friends easily. So I did not believe that somebody like me could lead until I read that book. The author said, look at the qualities of a leader. You have some of them already. The ones that you don't have, you can cultivate. I began, so the first thing was that I, be, I got to believe that I'm a leader. I have the potential to lead. Then I began to cultivate the skills. To my amazement, I found out people like to gravitate towards me. They like to work with me to achieve goals. I began to do exciting things. And then whenever I found myself in any group after that, I found myself floating to the top. So right now, this is my big message to the whole world. Leadership is a set of skills. Leadership can be learned. And in my book, Dear Leader, I share some of my story coming from the backside of Africa to growing to have global influence, to have millions of followers, across social media platforms. But, but, but Sam, I take your point, and it's, it's very encouraging, but right. not everyone can be Sam 
at the Yemi, you suggest they can. You have, as I said on Twitter, you have 1.5 million followers and you're only following 176 people. Uh, the math doesn't add up. <laughs> For better or worse, there can only be a handful of, of Sam Adeyemi's. You're a very successful thinker, leader, spiritualist, but not everyone can be like that, can they? Well, the amazing thing is the definition or concept of leadership itself. Uh, so when you say leader, I discovered that most people around the world just immediately think of the guys in government. And the question is, how many people will get to be president in a lifetime? How many will get to be governors or senators? But once you shift the definition of leadership to influence, the ability to influence one or more people to achieve goals, leadership just cascades down to the lowest level. So I say to people, if you persuaded your friend to go with you to buy candies when you were a child, you led your friend. That was leadership. You influenced your friend. So all of us actually have influence, but most people, one, don't know they do. Secondly, they do not develop their influence skills. That is what I'm out to do. Maybe that's why so many people like to listen to me, because I'm helping each person to discover their power. You don't have to be a Samadayemi, but you need to be you. Discover your unique value. Turn your talents into skills. Take them to an extraordinary level. You'll be amazed people want to hear your story. Sam, no one ever listens to me. I need to read your book. No one, I've never even convinced anyone to buy, to buy a packet of chips or a sandwich. Maybe that's my problem. You, you mentioned that 23 years ago, you picked up a book that changed your life. Tell me a little bit more about your life, where you were born and your childhood and what you did before picking up that book and transforming yourself and building yourself up as a, uh, as a global uh, spiritualist and leader. Thank you. So I was born in the middle belt of Nigeria. Uh, my dad used to work for the government. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Relatively stable childhood. And then uh, my dad was a, my dad became a building contractor. That influenced my choosing to go to college to study civil engineering. So I actually graduated as an engineer. I wanted to live my life as an engineer. But I just found out that on the site, the construction sites, I felt out of place. It, it just didn't feel like the right environment for me. So I was very active in church, and I found out that was where I had the opportunity to develop my leadership skills. So I switched and pursued two lines of careers. First, I became a leader in church. Secondly, I became a motivational speaker. So 28 years ago, I went on radio in Nigeria and began to teach people how to succeed. Remarkable, isn't it? I began to, I didn't feel like I was very successful yet, but out of my own struggles, because by the time I was out of college, my dad's business was no more. I had to search for a job. It was a difficult time for the family. Honestly, it was difficult to pay rent, difficult to buy food. And I despaired for some time wondering what the future held for me. 
And I was looking for a sure way, you know, certain principles I could follow that would guarantee a good outcome for me. I came across books. I read Tough Times Never Last, But Tough People Do by Robert Schuller. And it blew my mind, you know. I began to read other books. So I found out there are actually principles. So when I went on radio, it was out of the realization that millions of people in Africa are poor, their lives are difficult, and I just wanted to share my story and the principles. And the radio show was a hit. So that's how... This was the radio show in Nigeria. It's interesting, um, right. Sam, we did a show couple of months ago with another Nigerian writer, Emmanuel Iduma, who has a book out about making sense of the Nigerian civil war. I'm still with you. Not everyone in Nigeria is, of course, Christian. How, how does the country divide in religious terms? Well, the country is almost half Christian and half Muslim, and you have a handful of traditional worshippers who still worship the traditional way that our forefathers uh, used to worship. Um, basically, yes, there's some tension between the two religions, but to a large extent, you find out those tensions show up when you discuss politics. But for the most part, most of the citizens live together. Um, but does your work and, and does your preaching and your following, does it, crossover denominational terms or do you mostly speak to a Christian rather than a Muslim Nigerian community? Absolutely. I have a large following from both religions uh, because in my radio show, which eventually also became a TV show, there is no mention of religion there. Principles have no respect for persons. That's what I say. Gravity doesn't know whether you're a Christian or you're a Muslim. So the principles work equally for everybody. And with that, I have a large following that cuts across the religions, across denominations, and so on. I have met quite a number of Muslims. For example, a director at the Federal Civil Service, we met, we were about to board the flight. And he was so happy to see me that he watches my TV show that has been around the world attending training but that what he used to hear me say was life transforming. Tell me more about the TV show and your following, Sam. Um, not all our listeners, we, we don't have a, a large, I think, audience in Nigeria or, or Africa. I wish we had more, actually. Um, so not everyone's going to be familiar with your visibility in Africa. As I said in the introduction, you divide your time between Atlanta, Georgia where the Sam Adeyemi ministry is, is based in part, and Nigeria. How do you, firstly, how do you manage to do that? And secondly, how does your following and your, um, your, your, your church break down between uh, America and uh, Nigeria? Uh, thank you. So basically, my family is in Atlanta. Uh, in Nigeria, but I've spent most of my life in Nigeria, done most of the work in Nigeria. So in Nigeria, I, I have several organizations. We have the church, and the church has about 40,000 members. Uh, then I have a leadership school, the Daystar Leadership Academy. 
it has graduated some 45,000 people, you know, over the last 20 years, um, and a few other organizations, a publishing company, and so on. So in Atlanta, uh, we set up base in Atlanta basically because I wanted to reach the world, and I find it easier to leverage technology from the U.S. So my consulting company has offices in Atlanta, and my teaching ministry. So commuting is a bit convenient because there's a direct flight from Atlanta to Lagos. Yeah, there's it's, a direct flight from Atlanta to everywhere, I think, in the world, Sam. All right. <laughs> that and, is very uh, true. Yeah, I, uh, that, that actually doesn't surprise me. I'm curious, what's your? when did you come to Atlanta, and what's your take as an African on Georgia, the South, and the current state of race relations in the United States? Well, um, I've been in Atlanta now for nine years. Yeah, <laughs> nine years this month. Uh, so it's, it's been a time of observing and learning. Interestingly, because Atlanta has a large uh, black population and we know that Atlanta was uh, central to the civil rights movement and so on. So you go everywhere, you see black people and they're doing well. Uh, so it's, it's fairly good. Uh, in terms of the race relations, oh yes. I mean, as an African uh, or somebody who basically spent most of his life in Africa, I'm concerned, yeah. Personally, I've experienced friendship. I've experienced kindness uh, practically everywhere I have been. Uh, but then, yes, you do have those issues that flare up uh, when it comes to maybe relations with the security agencies, with the police, and so on. I witnessed uh, the protests, you know, uh, in 2020. And it's concerning. And I know as a person of faith that everyone was created equal, that the differences are only skin deep. So what I propose is love without prejudice and without bias. Sam, as you know, and again, you don't need me to tell you this, there's been an ongoing debate within the African-American community on the role of faith and the church, what you do. And politics, one of the great debates in the 20th century was between MLK and Malcolm X. Malcolm X was no great fan, I think, of the Christian faith or seeing it as a, as a, a turn away from politics and action. Is there a danger in your work that you're turning your followers and your people off politics and redirecting them internally, encouraging them to leave the political sphere and focusing on leadership and, and the other themes you focus on in your work and in your church? Actually, I am directing everyone to focus on leadership in every sphere, not only in church, but in the family, in organizations, in politics, in government. Uh, because like I said earlier on, yeah, everyone has the potential to lead Secondly, you need skills. P 
people assume that because they've risen to a high position, that makes them leaders. Oh no, that only creates the opportunity to lead. The real leadership is influencing people positively to achieve great goals that bring progress to the society. So the leader in school is leading. The people in the tech industry are leading. Those in the health sector are leading. The people in politics are leading. What matters are the vision of the leader. That's one of the skills. The ability to see people, places, and things, not just the way they are, but the way they could be, to see possibilities. Secondly, people. The ability to bring the best out of people. Our world needs leadership right now. Not just leadership, but exceptional leadership. And to be a good leader at that level, you can't afford to be self-centered. Leadership is others-centric. So I'm encouraging leaders to have vision, to make our world better, and to have sound values, good values. But doesn't a lot of this stuff, Sam, with all respect, doesn't it sort of go without saying? You talk about how to lead leaders. Who are the leaders for you who are, apart from yourself perhaps, who should we aspire to? Who, who, who are our models? Or are you suggesting that leading is such an ultimately democratizing personal thing that we should always think internally, look at ourselves? Should we be thinking of our parents, for example? A lot of people use the models of their mother or father as the inspirational leader. Well, I must admit, Andrew, that mentoring is a big part of leadership. Remember, leadership is influencing one or more people to achieve goals. So you look at those people that have those influence roles in our society, and the first place is the family. So it's absolutely understandable that people will take their parents to be role models. Our challenge then is to all of us to accept that responsibility to groom good humans, humans that have empathy, that have kindness, humans that are trustworthy, and humans that have skills to solve problems. So when we build families, we should not just build them for pleasure. We need to understand those humans that we're raising are going to affect our world, whether positively or negatively, and we need to be intentional about parenting. Then you move to school, and then the teachers also need to play their role. Then you move to organizations. You move to community leaders. So honestly, yes, older people are meant to be role models, but all of us need to accept the responsibility to have character and to have competence and to influence the ones coming after us in a positive way. Sam, would you describe your ministry as uh, an evangelical one? Uh, the reason I ask is because American evangelicalism has a rather bad reputation, not completely, but a lot of it seems very much associated with the hateful, radical right of the Republican Party. A lot of it seems racist or hostile to other religions. So my, I guess my question is twofold. Firstly, do you think of yourself and, and your organization as evangelical? And secondly, what's gone wrong in part with a lot of the evangelical movement within the United States? Well, yes, I would consider myself 
uh, all my ministry as evangelical. Uh, we're Pentecostal and charismatic. And I think generally that the church is meant to have its own unique culture. When Christ was on earth, uh, they asked him questions that bordered on politics and partisanship, like they would ask him questions about Caesar. And he would say, look, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Why? Because he came to introduce God's system. The challenge we have is whatever system is built by man just comes with all those imperfections that man has. And the church's message is the message of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God or the system of God is here. So I believe that the business of the church is promoting the values of the kingdom of God. The cornerstone is love. When you have love, there'll be honesty. Because when I love you, I'm not going to lie to you. So when you have those values like excellence and kindness and generosity and so on, those are meant to permeate all the systems, including the political systems. So sometimes, so I would say, Christians should be, have to be partisan. Then they are free to make their choices right. Those should be private. But at the public level, we should promote the right values. At that point, the differences between parties will just be ideologies. You conveniently, though, sidestep my question on right-wing evangelical movements in the United States, particularly uh, white ones. What's your take on them? What's gone wrong? Are some of them simply scams, do you think, uh, run by greedy evangelicals who are tricking their followers into giving up their money and then they're articulating very unpleasant ideas? Well, I'll be honest, Andrew. Um, I do not have the statistics. I do not have the data. However, my observation has been that the church, to a large extent, is a reflection of the society. So just like in almost every profession, you would have people who do their work for the wrong reasons. Yes, in the church, there are people who do their work for the wrong reasons. They have wrong motives. They are greedy, especially when it comes to this leadership issue. Absolutely, yes. There are, Like I said earlier on, leadership is supposed to be other-centric. But when you go into leadership and you are focused on yourself, you definitely are going to create a lot of problems. Um, I, I think that is the situation in a broad, broad way. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's peculiar to a particular set of people. I would not generally characterize uh, people like that. But I know that in every profession, every people group, including the church, that we have problematic leadership. I know you feel strongly both uh, on your Twitter page and in the book, dear leader, on the value of persistence. What, what exactly is persistence, Sam? And why is it such a big deal in becoming a successful leader, in, in reorganizing, re-architecting your life? Uh, I found out that 
things hardly work out in our world the first time. <laughs> things hardly work out perfectly the first time. I learned that from my personal experience. So when you're becoming a leader, like I said, yeah, everyone has the potential to be a leader. I think it's this issue of things not working out that actually separates the few from the many in the sense that most people don't handle failure positively. We don't handle failure well. It's like when I was young, if you came home with your report card from school, they, they used to write the courses that you passed in blue or black, the one that you failed in red. And your parents' eyes went straight to the red one and they created hell out of it. So we see failure as a bad thing, whereas leaders see failure as a learning opportunity. When they took us into the lab, science lab in high school, they told us we were doing experiments and nobody expects an experiment to be perfect. So if we're going to be leaders, to influence people positively, we need to start with self-leadership. And to be able to achieve our goals, we need to be willing to try again and again and again, changing the approach each time. Attitude is huge. We've always got to look for the positive, even in negative circumstances. So that's why persistence is so important. If we don't give up, eventually we achieve our goals. Your church is is very interesting. Um, you uh, you you run it in association with uh, Nike Adeyemi, and uh, there's been some press about them recently. Uh, I found a piece about she uh, reuniting with with you, your wife, and then you had something explaining why you've been away from Nigeria for the last three years. What's the role of your wife in the church, and how does she fit in? to your dear leader thesis? Do you lead her or does she lead you? <laughs> Thank you. Brilliant question, Andrew. So we founded our church together, right? And we were, we were young. We were both 28. So we've been through the thick and thin together. And the early years of the church, it was rough. We started with only a handful of people. She was there all that while. As you can imagine, some, a good chunk of our discussions at home centered around the church. Because growing a church from about 100 people to some 40,000, that, that's huge. And we went through all of that together. So she's played a unique role. I love the fact that we're different. She's the friendly one, the outgoing one. And I'm the reserved one. So we complement each other. I am futuristic. She's more pragmatic, practical. So when my dreams are becoming, getting unrealistic, she brings me down to the ground, right? Uh, so it's been a beautiful partnership. So in this particular instance, we had our conference for women and she was there. Everything ran perfectly well. Uh, so talking about being away from Nigeria for three years, yeah, it happened um, uh, during the COVID lockdown. Uh, like I said, we had been moving back and forth, but then we just found out we needed to stay. 
you know, we stayed here. And it was a good opportunity for us to test how well the systems in our church had been built. One of the major things that led to the huge growth was the building of systems. I didn't know how to do that before, but once I learned how to build systems, then we were able to create bigger structures and train thousands of people to do the job. So now we don't have to be there physically. The church runs perfectly well. Is there a difference, Sam, between male and female leaders? Can one make generalizations? Or are there some women, perhaps, who were more idealistic like you and some men who were more practical like your wife? Absolutely. Um, so I would say there are as many unique styles to leadership as there are human beings. Yes, I propose that everyone has the potential to lead, but everyone leads in their unique way because everybody is unique. So the approaches to leadership would be different. Are there differences between men and women? I think, yes, just for the fact that men are men and women are women. Uh, I'll tell you, for example, women are more relational, right? They, they tend to define their self-esteem by their relationships. Men tend to define their self-esteem by their accomplishments. Even at that, there are exceptions, not everybody. But we observe this uh, difference, for example, between my wife and myself. I am more task-oriented. I want the job done. There was a day I was out traveling. She led the meeting, the management team meeting. And after discussing the operations, she just asked a question. Does everybody here feel loved? And she was the only lady on the team at that time. Some people said, oh, yeah, 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 I feel, we feel loved. We feel loved. She said, no, 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 no. I want you to ask me one, answer me one by one. And then the issues between the guys began to come up. They were there for a few hours resolving emotional issues. I would not have done that at that time. So, yes, we've been practicing the leadership together. So... We'll have to get Nike on the show. Uh, finally, uh, Sam, uh, you know, you, your, your, your book, Leading Leaders, focuses on how to think like a CEO, teaching people how to think like successful business people. Shouldn't the reverse, though, in our age of global warming, of big tech, shouldn't we be trying to encourage CEOs to think like Sam Adeyemi, to think a bit more morally? Is there a danger when we all think like a CEO will lose our moral anchor? Hmm. Good question, Andrew. I agree with you in a sense. I found out that the higher we rise in leadership, the more we experience these structures built around leadership and those structures feed our ego. You get the biggest or the bigger office, you get the bigger salary, the bigger car, the bigger title, the bigger everything. And we tend to begin to think we're more important than other people. It affects our perspective. We don't see clearly anymore. So I agree with you that CEOs having been like everybody else before, should not lose. That's what I would say. Should not lose the capacity to see like everybody else. It's also important, however, 
that the ones that are not CEOs should put themselves in the mindset of the CEO. It expands your view because the CEO sees broadly, right? It influences uh, your thinking, your learning, and the skills you acquire and helps you to be strategic so you spot problems and the potential opportunities in them before the problems even show up. 